Welcome to Culture Meets Crypto, a podcast by Signum Growth that dives into the intersection of gaming, art, music, and crypto. Each week, Angela and Evan speak with iconic thinkers, thought leaders, and CEOs about the many new online economies and business models which are bubbling up in the metaverse. Just before we get started, I wanted to let listeners know that an affiliate of Signum Growth Capital is an advisor to and investor in my NFT. Welcome back, everyone, to the next episode of Culture Meets Crypto with my co-host, Evan Castelli. And today we're so excited. We've been waiting for this episode for many months. Uh, Hugo McDonough, uh, founder and CEO of MyNFT, which also includes the GBM auction mechanism, and Jesse Johnson, uh, founder and COO of Avogachi. We uh, would love to start with uh, each of you giving a little bit of background uh, on yourselves and then also how you came together. Sure. Well, I'll uh, I'll kick it off. So I've um, been in crypto for quite some time now. I think uh, my journey started with Bitcoin back in sort of 2012, 2013, and then uh, Ethereum in 2014. And I guess it's from that point where I got super excited by the technology um, and then it was in about 2017, 2018, where I decided to start a business in it and sort of jump in full time, specifically in the world of NFTs. Um, that started with an initial project called Cryptograph, which is actually where um, Jesse and his co-founder and us began to collide. And then um, since then, uh, uh, spun out our auction system as its own standalone product, which is called GBM Auction. And more recently is launching, uh, we're launching a, a, a multi-chain mine, um, marketplace called MyNFT.com. Um, which is due to be out very, very soon. Um, so that's sort of just a little bit about uh, me and, and 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 what we're doing. Yeah, myself, uh, Jesse Johnson from Pixelcraft Studios and Avogachi, and um, been been big on the NFT space for the last probably four or five years. Really, one of the first projects I met when I really was going full time on it was Cryptographs and getting to know Hugo, um, and was just impressed with what they're doing with their auction system on chain. It's a perfect example of what you can do with smart contracts that you can't do without smart contracts. And really, that's always been where my interest has been when it drives me to crypto is this idea of creating experiences and and um, unlocking new use cases and, and uh, value for users that simply wouldn't exist if a blockchain was not there to help facilitate it. And so, yeah, I got started um, really actually on the digital assets exchange side. I was working for an exchange out of Asia. Uh, called ZB, one of the oldest exchanges in mainland China, is I believe the second exchange to ever exist in China and trade Bitcoins. And that's because I was based in China uh, for a number of years working for Lenovo. And I was moonlighting doing uh, some really early uh, crypto meetups and organizing their uh, bilingual meetups in uh, 2016, 2017. And so that kind of steamrolled into, wow, I could go full time with this. The, the industry was picking up and there were exchanges and opportunities. So uh, that's where I started. But it didn't take long until um, around 2018 and really just realized that this thing with NFTs was going to be absolutely massive. It's digital culture. And there's so many potential use cases on the cultural side. And then you can go all the way across the spectrum to things like uh, supply chain traceability. And so the the use cases for NFTs just runs the spectrum. And uh, there's like no way that this technology wouldn't be put to use in some way. So uh, decided pretty much uh, after uh, marinating on it for a little bit that it was time to leave the exchange and just go all in with my own NFT project, which uh, my first foray into that was uh, linking up with Zach Burks, who had uh, just kicked off an alpha version of Mintable, which was literally the first 
no code solution. You could go in and make your own NFT. Prior to that, you pretty much had to have a coder or you had to know how to run some solidity and uh, knew that was an important fit, right? Like the market needed that. So got on board, worked on that. We moved to Singapore, set up shop. Um, and then I got the bug and, and really wanted to uh, attack this idea that NFTs can be copy pasted. And I know it's a silly argument and there's a lot of ways to refute it, but I really wanted to build something where it's like irrefutable right from the get-go. And that was the idea of using a smart contract uh, for the first time to stake ERC-20 cryptocurrencies into the NFT itself. And so it's like a digital piggy bank. Your NFT is a an, uh, blockchain piggy bank. And then you can't copy paste that. And so that was the first project. It was called BullionX, literally putting gold stable coins into those NFTs. Um, and uh, it was founded by a DAO. I love DAOs. So like that, there was just so much there that was perfect. And a lot of those learnings rolled and snowballed into what we work on today at Avagachi. So the last two and a half years has been full-time Avagachi. We, uh, we bootstrapped that with a bonding curve, some really cool tokenomics, uh, DAO governance from day one, and uh, took that idea of, uh, of on-chain um, interoperability and composability between both cryptocurrencies and NFTs and uh, created Avagachis, these cute little pixelated ghosts. If you can see me on screen, then you would know that each little ghost behind me is literally uh, got like a little thing in its forehead, like a Bitcoin symbol or an Ethereum symbol. And that's telling you what kind of cryptocurrency is literally inside of that ghost. And so it's it's a, a really fun project that just explores um, the best of smart contracts and celebrates what blockchain and Ethereum is all about. And so, uh, yeah, been full time on that. And um uh, we got to work with GBM and some of the really cool things Hugo's been working on along the way because it, it totally matches our ethos. That's great. And uh, as you know, we have a gaming background and kind of come at the space from a gaming perspective. Uh, is Are the ghost characters in the game? Absolutely. So we've kind of done this in two phases. I think of the intrinsic game is the Abagachi as it references Tamagotchi, right? It's like a better crypto pet. We, we all had our crypto kitties. We loved them, but we were addressing an issue there where it felt like I didn't have a relationship with my crypto kitty. Sounds a little weird, but that's really what it was. Is like there was no uh, connection there uh, if it's truly a pet. And so one of the things that we addressed early on was this dynamic metadata where if you interacted with on-chain um, transactions with your Avagachi, uh, there was a certain measurement that would actually rise and it's called your kinship score. And so you're actually like, could climb leaderboards or just know uh, on the UI, it tells you like your Avogadro is, you know, uh, friendly with you or infatuated with you or uh, scornful and uh, sad that you haven't talked to it in like three months. So, you know, um, that few, was the first game. A yeah. few of mine sadly got that far, but now they all love me. So it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I they're, love they're that. That's, that's amazing. They yeah. Are. Yeah. yeah. Tamagotchi, yeah, I mean, capturing that in, in crypto is really exciting. I love I love the concept. Um, I'd love to just dive into GBM uh, only because I think just to start, Hugo, we should we should really just define what it is. GBM GBM is a is an auction system. It's a price discovery system, therefore. Um, the way that it, the big concept driving it is really that we want to make everybody a winner in an auction. So the the two outcomes that can happen in a GBM auction are you either make some money or you win the asset that's being sold at auction. These are the only two outcomes. And this creates uh, a lot more fun for everybody involved. 
people are being rewarded in real time for helping to discover the value of this asset. And um, the thing that really makes this whole thing possible is, is smart contracts and programmable money, cryptocurrency, digital money. Um, and so, I mean, the way that it works from a kind of higher level perspective, if I bid 100 on an Avogotchi, for example, um, in a GBM auction, and then somebody bids 200, uh, I've been outbid. And so I get my 100 back from the smart contract and a return. And that return is variable based on how much you outbid the previous person. And it has a maximum cap on the amount of return you can make and a, a minimum step increase of each new bid. And that's how the whole system sort of makes it possible and makes it work. Um, I guess another way to uh, also help explain it is if you're the final bidder and you say you bid a, a thousand for this asset, then essentially the seller will walk away with something like 800, but 200 has been distributed to everybody in the bidding chain. And so what happens here is because you've created the incentive to bid using any other auction system today, like a Dutch auction or an English auction, you'd have probably sold it for 300, 400. Um, but because you've used GBM, you've sold it for a thousand, but you leave with 800. And so, you know, you've, you've really doubled your, your, your bottom line, which is what we've been seeing in general with what um, GBM can do in terms of uh, finding truer value and, and, and higher price discovery. Um, it was first implemented with our very first project, Cryptograph, which were these philanthropic one-of-one -one NFTs that raise funds for charity forever and that are made by famous individuals. And um, for us, we were thinking a lot about how we find a uh, sort of historically powerful uh, piece of uh, uh, art produced by a famous individual that therefore is not easy to price. It's almost impossible to price. So how do we price it? And that's where the innovation of GBM came up with. And um, Jesse's uh, uh, co-founder, Dan, and, and Jesse at the time as well, but Dan was definitely my introduction to, to, to Jesse through BullionX, actually, what they were, what they were doing at the time. Um, we had just launched the first few uh, cryptograph auctions using GBM and Jesse and Dan got to experience it firsthand and um, realized the, 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 the power and the, and the fun of it. And um, when uh, Avogotchi, um, to my knowledge, was, uh, uh, you know, coming to, coming to the fore and they were doing their first releases of their characters and their Avogotchi characters, um, it was clearly a, 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 a perfect solution to, to implement in terms of making the whole experience funner for everyone. And I think the other thing that was interesting was the, I mean, for us, we understood that it changed bottom line. We understood that it changes price discovery. We understood that price discovery happens much faster and things are generally more exciting and that everybody feels, you know, that, that, that they're a winner. But the big thing that we didn't quite realize that we didn't realize until we did it with Avogotchi was the, the huge effect it has on the community. Um, and I think Jesse can probably talk about that, that a bit more, but it definitely helped with um, reducing the amount of FUD, I guess, that, that, that gets spread around. Mm -hmm. So yeah. just to clarify, what, one, one thing that I, um, when I really got it, Hugo, was when I saw the cartoon, um, everybody's, you know, everyone's a winner. And it was the kid telling his dad, like, don't worry, I'm not going to win, but I'm, you know, still going to play because I'm going to win. And so the, the concept is basically that um, the mechanism, the auction mechanism brings more people in. And uh, therefore, as you mentioned, the pool uh, goes up potentially to 800 from 400, uh, even though you're giving away a portion of the pool to everyone who participates. So the pool is larger and the number of participants is larger. Yeah, so Jesse, could you comment on the community aspect of it? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was probably a year or so after Cryptograph, we had already launched Avagachi and we'd actually had our first NFT drop as a first come first serve kind of typical, you know, um, open mint. And it was a success from the sense that I think it sold out in three minutes and, um, you know, it was wildly successful in that sense. The issue was we were already a six month old project. We'd launched with a, a cryptocurrency as our governance token for six months. So we had a deep uh, passionate community. And yet, uh, this is kind of before the whole whitelist thing, which I also have issues with. There was um, really, it was a free for all, literally. And so we ended up with people, even myself, I literally did as a founder, I did not get an Avogachi on the first mint. It was devastating. Uh, it was just pure luck of who had the best internet connection or the, or the luck of whatever. And so it was very frustrating. And we never wanted to do that again. And about three, four months later, we had in our roadmap to do a second haunt, a second generation of Avogachis. And um, they had different collateral. They were, uh, by that time we had um, uh, fully listed with Ave had come over to Polygon, whereas in the first case they were on Ethereum. So there's a lot of new reasons to do this second haunt. We were like, we can't do that again. And my my co-founder, Coder Dan, um, he reminded me, he said, cryptographs, that, that GBM auction, that model, I mean, it's fantastic. And uh, he remembered because he earned a lot more than me on that auction. He played it well. He did the Vitalik signed piece. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, he, yeah. he he played, it's a game, right? Like he knew the right bid at the right time. I was a little late. I, I, I earned something, but I think he earned multiple ETH on that play. I mean, he did very well. So he remembered it and he was like, I'm going to go reach out to those guys or whatever the case was. And um, unlike cryptographs where it's one-to-one -one pieces, I think one of the challenges with us was we wanted to do this for, you know, 10,000 plus PFPs, relatively speaking. And and so it got so wild because imagine 10,000 bid to earn auctions all happening simultaneously and everybody's running around making bids on all these. It's not one auction and we do a leaderboard. It's 10,000 standalone auctions all at once. And it just became so fun for the community. And um, to this day, like if there's a GBM auction, we've, we've also done them for our land sales for the Gachiverse. And uh, more recently, we just launched a new product that also uses them. The pro the, it's just by far the most popular, uh, purely on-chain crypto experience that you can imagine. And our community just responds to it because it brings everybody together for a memorable Web3 experience. And um, you're not going to lose. Everybody gets together and has a good time. That's great. So I'm going to turn it over to Evan, but I just want to clarify, um, Hugo, this could be used then for other types of auctions, potentially, even uh, non-crypto auctions, potentially. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, the technology itself, the, the the concept of an incentivized auction can be applied to any vertical that needs price discovery. Um, we've started implementing it across the, the Web3 and the NFT space because that's where it was born. And that's where it's easiest to integrate. But there are ways of doing it for, you know, the existing world of of, of auctioned assets, um, and that's something that's going to be expanding over time. Um, but uh, we're also playing around with other versions of GBM, something we call generalized GBM, which is in its early stages at the moment, where the same kind of concepts in different uh, sort of implementations um, can be applied to fungible assets. So if you wanted to do an IDO or you know, you're doing a, a fungible asset offering, we have a way that it might be uh, 
much more powerful and actually get better distribution than using, say, something like a bonding curve or uh, a fixed price sale of these amounts of assets. It's in its early days, but it's it's very exciting. And um, I think by the end of Q1 next year, we'll have done a trial, which will show some really interesting data. Great. Writing that uh, down. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, I just want to go back to what you said about the kind of the minting experience and the bidding experience being so fun because I've used tons of different minting or ways to mint NFTs. And whenever it's just using a credit card or something, it's like the most dry experience ever. So I love hearing how, you know, GBM has sort of gamified this experience for the community. Um, and kind of going into the game a little bit more, I wanted to ask what initially, um, what has kind of played out differently upon launching Avagachi? We started with modest ambitions. We just wanted to do a better crypto pad and further explain or explore this idea of on-chain NFTs that had value inside of them, wrapped NFTs basically with the cryptocurrency. And, and that's where it started, but we did have a pretty ambitious roadmap from the start, to be honest. And that was um, one thing that I think uh, we've been very pleased with the outcome. You know, in two years, we've gone from doing okay, the intrinsic game to the second part, which is what we're calling the extrinsic game. And that is the, the gachiverse itself, which is a full-blown metaverse. Uh, we sometimes call it a DeFi RPG. It's uh, again, taking gaming in a direction that uh, we want to play with the things that you can't do without um, on-chain governance, without smart contracts. And so we're super happy with the direction it's gone. And so now we have this very robust game that um, I would say is super satisfying in that we launched in June of this year, 2022, and um, we ship every Friday at Pixel Craft Studios. We ship updates, and it's it's a very different model than what's existed till now for most game studios in that usually you build a game, you perfect it, you get it ready for going to market, and then you 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 distribute it, you, you go live. In our case, we got it to a bare minimum alpha of alphas and got literally we started with stress tests and like the community was stress testing like the technology for the back end these kind of things and then when we went quote unquote live uh it was still really really raw and so we literally are up building the game together with the community and i didn't know at the beginning that we were going to go this like extreme on the open source community owned aspect of this but our hunches from the early stages of going in that direction, we just keep doubling down on them and having success. And I hope what we'll see is a new kind of model for game studios and for DAOs to come together and create uh, really original Web3 content, whether it's a game, a film, uh, anything in between. But um, it's, a, it's a model that it, it deserves more attention and we're uh, we're happy to uh, pioneer it and, and spend our energy doing it. So um, literally we're, we're building the game together with the DAO. Our, our, our mantra is web three games should be built in web three ways. And so that's what we're running with. And um, we are now just six months looking back at all we've accomplished. We have a game that can support over 10,000 players simultaneously on one instance um, to contrast that with other big ticket games, you know, Usually they have multiple or regional servers and they'll support a few hundred people on each instance. And, you know, you and I could be playing at a very popular event that draws thousands of people, but we'll never meet because you're on server five and I'm on server 10. So I'm really glad with some of the design decisions we made early where we we wanted to be kind of lo-fi retro, browser-based, 
but able to support, um, build an infrastructure from scratch that can support uh, thousands of players interacting with each other all in the same instance. And so we're we're really happy with where we are. And uh, a little alpha in the next couple months, you're going to see uh, Q1 of next year, um, probably the most viral aspect of the game go live. We're finally, we've got that infrastructure down now where we can support uh, battle mode and like bring in arenas and competition. And um, right now the oh. gotcha verse is very peaceful, but um, <laughs> we're going to get a little bit more competitive in the next, next uh, iteration. So yeah, it's been a journey. We're very happy with where it's led us so far. I'm really curious uh, to hear more about in-game governance and how you kind of incentivize players to, uh, you know, help progress the game, put in their input. Because a lot of games, they want to do that, but mm -hmm. they get kind of stuck on getting people interested in, you know, showing up to those talks and showing up to, you know, the, the important nitty gritty stuff. To be honest, some of it is just, it's not high tech at all. It's super simple. It's just good old fashioned hard work and, and, um, uh, me and Dan and I, we are at every Saturday hangout, which is kind of a community gathering in Discord. We don't outsource that. We have community managers, great ones. We don't outsource that, though. We are hands-on interacting with whoever wants to come in. We have a DAO call on Sunday nights. Dan and I are also at those. Um, so we we just get, you know, just get rid of your weekends and spend it all with the community. And then you'll you'll be able to uh, to uh, get to know them and work with them and the other part is we're constantly looking for better partners and infrastructure to support DAO decisions. So there's a lot of progress out there in the last few months. Um, projects like, I'll give a shout to D-Work, things like that. It's basically a JIRA task board that um, connects DAOs. And it's it's amazing when you plug into it, what you can do. Um, so things like that, just leverage the technology that's being built with us with uh, other on-chain mechanisms and uh, and bring it all together. One more fun yeah. example, just it's a philosophy is like when we first launched uh, Avogachi, before we launched, the very first thing we did was a simple Google Doc. Our white paper was not a fancy PDF with a lot of graphics, whatever. I think it did have the background you have on there right, right now. I think that's from the original white paper. And um, it was literally just a Google Doc that anybody could go in and leave a comment on. And I think it was had to be one of the most commented Google Docs in, in history at the time. It was like two, 3,000 comments in there, um, just tearing it apart. And so uh, we didn't need uh, on-chain governance. We didn't need fancy uh, infrastructure. But we we did just seek out that open source, like, um, you know, everybody can participate right away kind of, kind of uh, approach. I loved what you said about community and your own involvement. And I think that a lot of Web2 uh, companies, especially in, in gaming, miss the fact that the community involvement and um, engagement has to be real and authentic. And the fact that you're in the trenches actually building that community um, is, I think, really interesting and, and really important. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about the IP, um, you know, the creation that's going to happen from the community. It might be developing, you know, in, in various ways. And um, one of the things that we were really excited about uh, with what Hugo and the team were doing at MyNFT is their approach to the multi-chain world. So I'd love to have you comment on that, Hugo, um, and then also you, Jesse, you know, how will this evolve as we move into a multi-chain world? For sure. Where yeah. we have to yeah. worry about IP rights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, IP, the world of IP will definitely, as NFTs evolve, become more and more of something that needs to be uh, 
like managed and worked with like you know we have a web2 world of how ip or intangible assets work and how ownership works nfts are a canvas that allows you to program any kind of value really into it it can be many things at once and if you want to recognize that value from the legacy world to, to a world of web3 we need systems to be able to, to to do that and make that trackable and add permissions and remove permissions where where needed but systems for that to operate and standards for that are going to be important i mean for us at my nft our big thing is that we want to be multi-chain i mean my thesis is that long term we are going to be moving into a world of lots of different chains people are going to spin up their own layer ones much faster and a lot more easily um, with their own rules for their own universes that they need to communicate with larger publicly distributed settlement chains things like ethereum um and uh because of that we're going to see you know an atomization of lots of different kinds of tokens and value but if you can build the roads to have all of them communicate with one another um you're going to get an even more uh, uh, um, blossoming future um, as people can move their, their their assets where they want between different universes and between different networks. So for us, that's a super important uh, vision to get behind. And that's why my NFT for us is natively multi-chain and why the tech stack that we've built allows us to be able to, starting with EVM chains, but allows us to offer a place where people can essentially buy and sell and eventually uh, be able to mint, you know, any token on any of the chains we support and then be able to buy and sell them in any of the native currencies of any of those assets all in one place and be able to do multi-currency market orders and these kinds of things. Um, and um, part of that whole process of trying to build that, um, we were also wrestling with the, with the thinking of, okay, well, eventually, although it's a lot bigger problem than, than, than people give it credit, you know, if I have a, 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 a character or an asset in a AAA game, double A game, whatever it is, and I want to move it to another one, how does that actually really work? And how does that work with legacy property law? How does it work with publishers' rights? How does it work with how this thing is supposed to be used in a, in a, in a different world and correctly follow the original purpose of this thing? How do we stop counterfeits? So if, you know, if I've got my Avogotchi on Polygon and Avogotchi community creates a, a cool world or a mini game on Moonbeam, for example, uh, uh, and I want to be able to move my gotchis over there and be able to play in that game or, 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 or use the functionality. Right now, that's a really, really difficult thing to do. And many people could just spin up their own version of Avagotchi on Moonbeam and pretend that this is the, the real community, this is the real thing, and just mint a whole bunch of random tokens and try and pass them off. And it's difficult to, for, for, for newcomers to be able to navigate that potential. And so something that we're doing with the Web3 Foundation at the moment is building this migration standard that is trying to create it, so trying to create a, a framework at least that people can can use to have a permissioned IP compliant infrastructure for people to be able to move their assets uh, uh, between blockchain networks in a way that's trackable, follows the original publisher's intents and creates essentially a, a chain of provenance between wherever these things move. Um, it's a very long-term goal and lots of baby steps along the way. Um, I mean, you know, at the moment we're just starting with this, with this standardization thinking, but, um, I think as, you know, my view is that we're definitely going to be moving more and more into a multi-chain world and to give people more freedom as to the things that they want to do with their assets, that kind of infrastructure needs to be built. Um, and, um, 
you know, I know that with uh, 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 when Avogadro started, you know, we were looking at Ethereum. Ethereum became unworkable. You had to quickly port to, to Polygon. And in the future, who knows if something has to happen again or people suddenly, you know, jump onto another, uh, the community builds something somewhere else and you guys need to be able to service that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We had, um, you know, full disclosure uh, for everyone on the show, although most people who know me know, we advised the Web3 Foundation uh, and kind of stumbled upon Polkadot back in 2018 when we were advising gaming companies on, Web2 gaming companies on this idea of building games on Ethereum and Bitcoin, and it felt untenable. Um, And, um, you know, Polkadot as this interoperability layer really just made sense to us. And um, and you're building on Moonbeam. You were one of the first, if not the first, that has, um, you know, this, you know, with this uh, business model, I guess. Hugo, can you just talk about yeah, why yeah. Moonbeam? So we, 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 build, we built our own L1, essentially, called MyChain, but it uses Substrate Frontier. So it's, it's a hybrid, as it were, between Polkadot native technology and EVM technology. And um, that allows us to be inherently multi-chain and be able to run a really good user experience on the on the top end because we can run everything through this transparent database essentially um and then send all the messages from that to all the settlement layers whether it's polygon binance smart chain ethereum uh and in the future other non-evm based chains um and um that's essentially the 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 stack and so for us it's really been made possible thanks to Moonbeam as a parachain and Polkadot as you know the native substrate, you know, re- based relay chain, creating that base layer technology for us to then start to utilize to you know create this this multi-chain um capability. And in fact, just on that point, I'd be super interested to hear Jesse's thoughts on where how you see the sort of world of multi-chain or, or cross-chain evolving and whether whether you've got any thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with uh, what you led with, which is it's going to be a multi-chain world. It already is. Um, there's multiple chains everywhere, and they're all getting a lot of use, and there's massive TBL and um, and exciting uh, innovation happening on multiple chains all at once. So it makes sense to what you're discussing solving. That's a problem that does need solving. And in our case, uh, you know, we have a little bit of multi-chain experience. We started on Ethereum. That's where our uh, GHST token uh, uh, is still minted today. It's on a continuous bonding curve. It mints and burns on a smart contract there. Um, but um, the majority of the liquidity either went to um, uh, exchanges or actually most of it went and migrated over a bridge to Polygon uh, around the time we realized that um, we were going to have to delay the launch of the Avogadro NFTs because Ethereum gas prices were nuts. And uh, we'd anticipated that. We always thought we would we would launch on Ethereum because that at the time was where all the NFT action was. And then we would, you know, deal with bridging and provenance and all of that later. Uh, but they they forced our hand. And um, because of the nature of needing to pet your Avogadro and do all that dynamic stuff, we said we, we, we're going to be one of the first major NFTs to move over to another chain. We looked at all the options available at the time and ultimately went with Polygon. And we're really glad we did. Um, it's been a great experience over there. No issues at all. It's, it's a great compatibility. And when you talk in terms of bridges and EBM, um, but it was scary and, uh, and, and yet, you know, it's, it's something I think we will eventually do again. 
One, one thing I'm very excited about in that space is if you're following Polygon, it, it kind of reminds me of Polkadot in the sense that they are going to be launching a lot of supernets. And these are basically dedicated chains that share some of the validators and security aspects that Polygon's already um, battle tested. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, Alpha Leak, it could be that there'll be a supernet that helps support Avogadro ecosystem someday. Who knows? But we're monitoring that and, and uh, researching that very carefully because it it is an issue even on Polygon where transaction fees are you know much much smaller than Ethereum. Uh, there's still days where the network slows down if there's some uh, something going viral or whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, we want to be able to uh, always look forward, and we're not like married to one chain. We think that there's a a multi-chain aspect out there for sure, and especially for something like Avogadro, it already is. Um, we ended up building our own bridges so that you could take your Avogadro's back to layer one if you so chose. And uh, it turns out there wasn't a ton of demand for that, but uh, we did a, a pretty cool partnership with Rarible early on and did try that out. And um, it, you can do it, it can be done, but um, I think there's a lot of room for improvement in that whole section to get NFTs properly across and and identify um, and, and confirm that they're the real deal and not, you know, a, a mock or a, a ripoff. Yeah. You know, because it's such a hot topic and we're getting close to our time, I really want to ask you both about what you think about royalties, especially the difference in handling royalties for kind of general NFT marketplaces versus specifically marketplaces for in-game items and secondary for Avogadro's. Uh, how do you both kind of approach, you know, what's going on with royalties right now? So I just did a Twitter spaces on this a week ago. I, I have a very strong uh, th thoughts on this. And the please share, please share. <laughs> well, the knee jerk reaction is it's really easy to go on Twitter and sound off and be like, oh, every, of course we need royalties. Royalties should be for everybody. It's for the people. Like it's, it's very, of course, that's what we all want. Um, the thing that we don't flesh out enough is why is it even an issue? And and of course, it's because uh, blockchain is a race to the bottom when it comes to costs. There's this no barriers to entry, open source. Um, you know, if you have a royalty, your royalty is somebody else's fee, right? So um, if you're worried about securing your user base and uh, making sure people continue to use your platform, you're going to be constantly undermined by competitors who just, uh, somebody's going to say, no, there's no fees over here, AKA no royalties. So there's a, there's a, there's another way to solve this though, because I do want royalties. And what we're doing at Avogadro is um, it's all about creating your own, um, instead of like plugging into a major uh, marketplace that's kind of generic, say OpenSea, I'm thinking, you know, in our case, we build a kind of ecosystem that is designed to be super loyal and, and generate loyalty to that system, regardless of the fee. You have to overcome it with UX. You have to overcome it with uh, community incentives. So what we have is on our own NFT marketplace, the Avogadro Bazaar, uh, there's a fee and part of it you know, funds the DAO treasury. So every trade happening funds the treasury. Another percent funds a very specific allocated rewards pool. So when you take care of those Avogachis and you climb those leaderboards, you know that you're actually funding a rewards pool your Avogachi is going to dip into later on. And so um, there, that's one way to do it is to just make sure that everything is kind of a, a, a circle of win. You're trying to bring everything back home to the community. And uh, then they get that social pressure like you're not going to go trade somewhere else, right? Because you're going to undermine uh, what we're all working on and working towards here. So you want to have, you know, the community work it out themselves with the right incentives. And um, real quick, one thing we've done recently that 
um, I'm super excited about is we launched a new product called Fake Gachis about a month ago. And this directly addresses both the IP and the royalties. Um, we basically tongue in cheek said, you know, we have a very creative community. They want to draw and create and tell Avagachi stories all day. We noticed this over the last two years. We said, why don't we, instead of, you know, sending them cease and desist orders or chasing them around, wagging our finger, why don't we just build a better product where they can come and release that creative energy? And so it's, again, that same kind of concept applying. And so tongue in cheek, the fake gotchis are community created, canonized, legitimate IP uh, Avagachi uh, creations and artwork that are minted through our platform at fakegachis.com. And um, so far it's been live a month, it's it's going gangbusters. Like the community is on fire and it goes back to the GBM auctions. Um, when we launched, we didn't have it quite ready, but just this last week we launched uh, GBM auctions for fake gachis. And so this is a new, uh, totally new uh, twist on the GBM because before it was always us, the, the publisher, the Pixelcraft Studios, creating the auctions and saying, okay, come in and have a great time. Now it's even more open sourced where, um, you know, you could go and you could make some Avogachi artwork today and say, guess what, everybody, I'm tweeting it out. I'm going to launch my own GBM auction uh, at, at noon tomorrow. And you should be there because it's a three hour auction and, you know, it's going to be a blast. And that's what's happening right now. So wow. there's, yeah, it just that's takes exciting. it to a whole nother level where we put the power into the community's hands and we don't even have to really manage it. And the, you know, the, the numbers speak for themselves, even in the depths of this bear market, um, we've got a nice little hockey stick on marketplace activity and it's all because of fake gachis. And then this week with the GBMs going on top of it, it's just icing on the cake. I mean, that is really interesting because it leans into kind of creative mode. You know, Epic Games just recently came out and said that 40% of time spent is now in creative mode, which shocked even them. And so um, I think that taps into kind of this behavioral shift of uh, people in game wanting to have a say on how that game evolves and how their characters evolve. And and uh, and now in, in Avagachi, you can actually even do your own auction. That's That's very cool. Yeah, yeah it's, I'm very happy with the direction it's going. Yeah, I guess I can chime in uh, uh, two cents on the on the royalty thing. I mean, my our opinion in general is that it's about optionality predominantly. It's about being able to give creators and buyers as many options as possible, which is really what this technology does. It's you know freedom of choice at the heart of it, and so with that comes better innovation around the technology stack to make those options possible and viable, right? Like that they actually work. I mean, back in the day, there was a lot of chat about, you know, royalties, 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 perpetual income. And it was one of the big parts of Cryptograph, for example, which was super early. The whole idea was this was a perpetually passive giving instrument. And therefore for us, circumvention of that fee um, would destroy the core, the core part of it. And other things like being able to destroy it would also be hugely problematic. And so we created these little innovations in the in, in the code where, you know, if you burnt the token after a certain period of time, it would release a function that you could call and it would reset its code and put itself back on the market. And we also created this um, this thing called uh, EIP2665, which was just an extension to 721, which basically just said, you can't move this token unless you pay the fee, which is definitely on the hardest side of like, you can't 
do anything until you, you know, you, you, you agree to this basically to, you know, no royalty at all and you being able to do whatever you want with it. And I think like many things, it's a spectrum and it's about us, you know, the creators, the pioneers, the builders being able to create tool sets where if I'm a creator, I can have a choice between, you know, whether it's ERC-2981, EIP-2665, uh, all the other royalty standards or variations that are going to be out there, a blacklist or a whitelist, and being able to say, you know, this is what I want out of my work. This is the this is the goal. And I want to implement it as X or I want to implement it as Y. And then on the other side of that, um, depending on how good the technology is behind that or the enforceability of it, buyers um, will either have to comply or will still try and find ways around it. But, you know, if you further cement things like community pressure and social pressure which Je Je jesse added to that's just, you know that adds adding other layers but i think there's a huge amount of innovation still to go on this you know royalty or, or future income topic and a lot of infra still to be built out and tested um and um you know longer term for us at, at my nft that's a big part of what we want to achieve is essentially putting the power into the hands of the of the, of the creator and saying, look, here are all the viable options right now, you know, drag and drop, if you will, what you want into your thing. And um, it will work to the best of its ability to, to, to X and Y. So it's also about being really transparent with how enforceable things are and how viable things are and about bringing that education more to the more to the front, because, you know, definitely for a couple of years, everyone was just running around being like, it's a game changer in royalties and that is true, but to an extent and the extent is being realized now. And that, that, that needs to be, uh, you know, detailed and, 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 and brought, brought more to the fore for people. So, so that um, we people get better at navigating and, uh, and innovating to make those, you know, possibilities better. But at the crux of it, it's really a long-winded way to say, you know, optionality is key and those mm -hmm. options need to be viable. Hugo, I really like the, sorry, I, I just love the toolbox metaphor because it really puts the burden on the the founders or the right. community. It really the founders to make sure they align the right option or the right direction with royalties, the right policy with their community and signal that to them. Like, here's what we're about and here's how we're doing it. And yeah. hopefully you're on board and and you don't pick the wrong tool to, uh, right. to uh, right. address and if you, it. And if you're not on board, you know, you can you can go elsewhere. That's 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 the beauty of it. I mean, and that's also a big part of what Web3 does, right? I mean, in the in the legacy world, let's say, you don't have that optional, optionality, really. I mean, or if you do, it's it's kind of surface level feigned optionality. It's the, like the illusion of, of choice. Um, uh, and, and it's different for, for, for blockchain and Web3, for sure. I've, mm -hmm. I've got a tool to add to the toolbox, if you guys don't mind. This is a, this is a really cool Absolutely. one. I, I, almost, I can't believe I almost forgot about this talking about royalties and fake gotchis we also uh delivered a new completely brand new uh, smart contract that um aligns the community to have double royalties dual we call it dual streaming royalties and what this means is the royalty can go to two wallets instead of one and so why would we want to do this and the reason is we realize that we have a community they're not all artists but they're all going to get these, um, the way you get to mint a fake Gachi is you get a fake Gachi card. It looks like a credit card. It's an NFT. If you burn that card, that's your publishing rights. So it's tokenized mm -hmm. publishing rights. And so, yeah, 2,500 of them in existence. So you have your cap and it's literally an emerging art collection organically, whatever the community decides to do with these cards. 
And so we realized people are going to get these cards and they may not be artists. So what are they going to do? They're just going to sell them or give them away or hoard them. And it's not good. So we wanted to align the incentives here where um, what happens is you burn the card and you get to decide of the, the 4% royalty where you want to allocate it. And so you're the at the burden of the card is called the publisher. Now, the publisher might be the artist as well, but they might not be like me. I'm probably not going to be the artist. So I'm going to reach out to somebody super talented I know in the space that I want to collaborate with. Say, look, I got this card. I'm a Gachi fan. You're an amazing crypto artist, OG. I want you on board. Let's collaborate. I'll give you 3%. I just want 1%. I'll, we'll go 2-2 two, two, or I'll go, you know, wow. give all four. I love yeah. that. Yes. And so that way, uh, everything's incentivized where everybody in the Avogachi fan base community, they all get to play. They all get to participate. And they say, wow, I can be, okay, I'm going to be a publisher and I'm going to be the best publisher. I'm going to go recruit the best artists. And um, mm. and it's, it's a really cool play on royalties. I'm sure there's other use cases for it, but we wouldn't have even explored or thought about that if we hadn't had to address this issue of, well, people are going to get these cards and they're not artists. What do we do? And so mm. it's really cool to see how some of these uh, different uh, approaches to royalties can come about. And like Hugo was saying, it's, it's really not one size fits all. It's going to be, um, there's so much flexibility here with the contracts. Well, that's, yeah, I think that's a super, I think that's a really creative way to integrate collaboration into the game mechanics. I mean, I, I'm going to use that as an example. I love it. Sorry, Hugo, what were you saying? No, just, yeah, just, just, just following on on that in terms of saying that, I mean, that's, that's the point of the technology, right? I mean, that's, you know, we, yeah. it's programmable incentives, it's programmable ownership, it's programmable experimentation, and that's the nature of it. And so, you know, being able to think about royalties will come from a different direction, which is also what I love about um, uh, 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 Jesse and Dan and Avogotchi and the rest of the team. Like, they're definitely, in our opinion, like, you know, ruthless innovators. Like, it's always about bringing out new stuff, interesting stuff, being, being in so many ways, the first to putting out um, uh, uh, new experiments and being able to have this beautiful test bed because of the activity of their community to be able to do those things. And um, it's, you know, it doesn't surprise me at all this idea of, you know, using a dual royalty stream or a splitter that incentivizes lots of different potential activity to germinate naturally within their community. And I mean, that's really the big, that's really the big point of this, of this technology is you can start creating all of those new models in way more of a lightweight fashion. And playing with incentives, tokenomics, the whole, the whole, the whole stack of crypto, in, in you know, in ways that we just can't do uh, 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 with 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 many of the tools that we have uh, in a world before that. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, go to both of you for last words, uh, and also a glimpse into 2023 for for both of you. Um, exciting things for us to watch, and then Jesse, what is that called? I definitely want to put that on the radar screen. Um, yeah. That 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 mechanism. So I'll I'll start with you. Sure. It's uh you go on Twitter, just hashtag dual streaming royalties. It's a bit of a long hashtag, but that's uh, okay. that's what we've <laughs> You'll see some commentary on it if you search that. Okay. And uh, and then it's fake gotchis that uh, you know constantly right. is, uh, showing off this stuff. So yeah, definitely uh, happy to see more people look into that and learn about it. And I think it's got so many more use cases and ways to apply it that we just haven't explored yet. We've talked internally about submitting it as an EIP and trying to get something more uh, standardized out there for more generalized for anybody building um, to be able to use. And we'll see if we have uh, enough room on our plate, we would love to uh, to make room for that in 2023. So we'll see. Um, 
and then yeah going forward for the you know heading into next year the dow is super strong we uh have weathered the storm really well in terms of this bear market um part of it is because our bonding curve is super unique our our tokenomics are unique and that it's a collateralized governance token uh die stable coins actually back a certain percentage of the token itself it would cost money to mint it most tokens are minted for free right you just um it's a one-time push of the button and uh there's it's air behind it but in our case it literally requires human energy going in there p2p uh, depositing die to mint each one on an, you know, a sliding price scale. And so mm -hmm. that has paid off really well for us because the token has, you know, it's off all time highs, but the community is intact. Nobody got wrecked. There was no crazy volatility. Uh, we're like, we joke, we're half a stable coin, you know? So literally we have a stable coin behind it. So, uh, you know, that being the case, we have runway and we have, um, more infrastructure than ever before for the DAO to start building out their own games, their own experiences within the Gachiverse. Um, there's one called Gachi Miners I can give a shout out to. It's a, been in development for almost a year and they're real secretive. They won't even tell me about it. So I'm just mm -hmm. looking to see what they bring to the Watch table. Watch for that. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I'm just super bullish on the DAO in particular and where they're going to take over more and more responsibility over time. And they have their own internal roadmap. They have three phases. We're in we're in phase 1.5 still, and we're we're about to hit phase two. So uh, we joke the phase 1.5 is called the cocoon. And uh, Q1 next year, we're coming out of the cocoon, and uh, they're going to have a lot more responsibility, and they're going to be able to execute and uh, put more of their funds to use to start um, executing on some of these bigger ticket items they want to build out. Um, so yeah, really, really excited about where that's going. And then obviously the Gachiverse I alluded to, the arena is um, is really, really exciting. And we couldn't have done it three months ago because we weren't there yet. We couldn't support 10,000 people uh, shooting and hitting and doing all this stuff. Now we're there. And so we can start actually delivering on the fun factor a bit more. Uh, whereas previously it was more of a farming and social game. Now it's mm. going to start layering with more combat, more... Uh, more competition and i i can't be more excited about what that means for um you know onboarding and better ux and just uh, generally mm -hmm. everybody will have something to do in the gachi verse we're excited about it we're definitely gonna play right evan <laughs> yeah great you hugo where do you yep, yeah we will um, i guess um echoing similar things i think that um obviously the bear's been tough on a lot of people um and so uh, it's you know but it's also equally uh, been a, an evolutionary thing i mean having been in the market for a while you know, it was like DeFi summer back in 2017 2016 it was the same like you know suddenly there's a whole bunch of air you know i mean the nft pfp world went totally nuts most of it was speculation and then a lot of that is going to die away and we're going to start seeing the long tail of this technology and we're going to start seeing real innovation happening on top of this technology that leads to like long-term uh, uh, value accrual and new models and new interesting things that can occur. I think Avogotri is a great example of that. Um, um, you know, it's, it's an NFT project with so many other pieces attached to it that's here to stay. And a lot of the, 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 the builders that are, that are in this space doing things like that are, are going to start coming more and more to the fore as the rest of the noise begins to, to die away, which is just natural evolution, cycle evolution of new markets. Um, and so it's going to be nice to see that happen and i'm actually you know bears are not 
quite as heady or as crazy, but they're really, really important. And um, if you're if you're built on the right kind of foundations, it's 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 key. And so we we sing a lot from that sort of hymn sheet. For us specifically, as I said, like GBMs uh, being rolled out in new kinds of implementations that can apply to other assets, not just non-fungible assets, is something that we're exploring, which we're super excited about. Um, definitely the growth of the GBM model in general across the space um, uh, um, we're, we're looking at, and lots of people are uh, are coming in thick and fast now to, to start implementing it and experimenting with it, because obviously it's, it's super powerful. Um, and um, for us with my NFT, launching that in beta, um, hopefully next week. And uh, from there, it's going to be hopefully in beta probably for a month or so. And then we're going to start coming out of that, adding new networks and bringing in lots and lots of new iterations um, over time. And long-term really about looking at new kinds of assets that we can bring on chain. So again, taking NFT technology and applying it to other verticals that could do with the technology, you know, places, markets that have bad price discovery, bad information asymmetry, uh, 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 bad liquidity, bad authenticity or provenance issues, applying that technology via an interface, which our platform wishes to be the interface that can bring, unlock lots more value in those, in those markets. So Longer, longer term, that's what we're, we're, we're interested in. And so I think next year, um, uh, well, watch the space, I guess we'll see, we'll, we'll, we'll start to see a bit more of that. Great. Well, thank you both so much, Hugo McDonough uh, from MyNFT and Jesse Johnson from Avagachi. Really appreciate the time. I've learned a lot. Evan, we are definitely going to host some playtime with the, with the new version of the game and especially the battle mode. <laughs> Sounds a lot like it's going to be a lot of fun. So thank you both for coming and thank you, Evan. Thanks. Thanks for having us. That was such a fun episode, Evan. There's so much we could recap, but Hugo and Jesse both highlighted the importance, especially in this downturn of ruthless innovation and giving users the ability to experiment and be creative. This is a key trend in gaming that we believe in strongly at Signum Growth. It's this idea that creators, including developers, are moving to the front of the line. Players want to add to the outcome. They want to add to the content creation themselves. And this should have a positive impact on the business models as well. When the content is being constantly created and improved upon by the players, it means a lower cost of production for the studios. And more importantly, as a side benefit, new revenue streams for the players. So as you know, we love tracking brand new examples of creative production in games. And Jesse provided one for us uh, today that we hadn't heard of. It's called dual streaming royalties, and it allows for artistic collabs between players and artists. Basically, they get together and design these collectible trading cards, and then they share in the royalties together also. It was also great to hear Jesse describe how they actually found the GBM auction mechanism because he used it in a real MyNFT auction. He used the technology um, and then later reached out to Hugo and the MyNFT team if they could integrate it into the Avagachi in-game auctions. Um, and what's really cool about GBM is that everyone really is a winner because more people are participating because they know that they're gonna get something at the end of it. Um, so ultimately the final prize pool is much bigger for the seller, even though they're giving up a portion of the prize pool to all the participants. Yep. Exactly. Check out the show notes for the graphic that I mentioned, because it really helped me understand the GBM auction mechanism. And also thank you all so much for tuning in to the ninth episode of Culture Meets Crypto. 
Thank you to my co-host, Evan Castelli. And of course, a big thank you to Hugo McDonough from the MyNFT and GBM team and to Jesse Johnson from Pixelcraft and Avagachi. Thanks so much.